Well, welcome everyone this morning. It's uh, good to see you guys. Welcome to New Life, particularly if uh, this is your first time joining us or uh, if it's been a while since you've been here to physical service. It's really great to have you guys here. Um, my name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life, and I think uh, especially if you're feeling a little bit new here, uh, please do stick around after service, come and say hi. And you've come at a really, really great time because we are about to close off registration for WinterCon, our annual winter conference. Uh, so make sure you do sign up today. You can only sign up in person here after service. So if you're still joining us online right now, you do have time to make it over here, I guess, or you, know, you can... Uh, tell a friend to sign up on your behalf if you're stuck you know, in Victoria or anything like that. Um, today's sermon title is Bread for the Day, as you see on screen behind me, Bread for the Day. So if you want to open up in your Bibles to Matthew 6, 11, we'll read Matthew 6, 11, and then we'll spend a little bit of time meditating on it before I pray for us. Matthew 6, 11 reads this. Give us today our daily bread. So why don't you take a moment just to meditate on this verse and then I'll pray for us. Father, won't you teach us what it means uh, when we ask you for bread, when we ask you for our daily bread, when we petition you uh, for this thing. Give us today our daily bread on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we wanna know what it means to seek out our physical sustenance here. What does it mean, Lord, that you fill us would you guide us, Lord, by your presence, by your Holy Spirit, granting us wisdom uh, beyond what we can read just here in our Bibles, but that we could see into your heart and see what your will is for our lives, for your goodness, your character. Lord, fill us not just with the bread that we have here on earth, but fill our very souls for the things that it truly seeks after we want to hunger and thirst after you as we do for our earthly bread. So we pray that you would be with us here in our service today, that you would open up our ears that we might be able to hear you, that you would open up our eyes that we might be able to see what it is that you are showing us. Make our hearts this fertile soil once again, God, and help us, Lord, to know who you are. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, you know, praying this prayer this week, give us today our daily bread, studying this verse. Um, I, to be honest, it sent me into a bit of a tailspin. Like, um, I don't know if this ever happens to you when you're praying or when you're, you know, reading your Bible. Like, or whatever it might be, like you read and you reread something and you're thinking, okay, I've read it a couple of times, you know, it's time to move on. And then you look 
and like an hour has passed and you've been like just sitting here staring at this thing for that long. Give us today our daily bread. It seems so simple. You know, we're meditating on this verse. It seems so straightforward. Give us today our daily bread. And yet as your understanding of what's behind this prayer grows, something starts happening inside. Like for me, I don't know if I can just safely enter into a Coles and just go to the bake section and be okay. Like I'll be looking at all this bread and I'll be like disturbed in my soul or something. You know, every time I see bread, I think I'm gonna ponder on this. And I'm hoping that by me sharing these burdens with you, not that you'll face an existential crisis when you go into a grocery store, but that it'll alleviate things somewhat. You know, we'll be able to share our burdens together as a family here at New Life. We can bear one another's burdens. When this prayer talks about bread, let's make this clear, we're talking about solid food in general. Okay, the things that give us physical sustenance, fuel so that we can live, work, worship. You know, these are the things, the building blocks, right? Personally, I don't eat a lot of bread normally. Like, bread is all right, you know? I prefer rice, especially as I get older. But, you know, I did find myself in a bakery this week buying a bunch of different types of bread. And I think I might be subconsciously doing this stuff as I'm studying these verses. Like last week, I went up to the mountains. You know, the sermon title is Mountaintop. And I'm a little bit afraid of what's going to happen this week. Let's um, talk about debt. You know, bread, <laughs> you know, we're talking about solid food in general. So throughout this sermon, I'll be using the words bread and food interchangeably. Okay, so what I really mean is any type of nourishment for our physical bodies, so do try to keep that in mind, especially if you don't like bread. Uh, The things we need and enjoy, since we're souls in physical bodies that need food to survive, like none of us is surviving without food. For some of us, I know that food is like the best thing ever. Like I see you guys cooking all the time on Instagram, wherever it might be, we're about to order lunch and you're already thinking about what's for dinner, you're already asking all these things. And without our daily bread, the food that keeps us going, we can't enter into and enjoy the fulfillment of your name be honored as holy. Without food, we can't enjoy your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's do a quick theology of bread. So bread, or food, is a gift from God. And it's known as this by the Israelites that are getting taught this prayer at this time. They know that bread is a gift from God. So whether or not they're participating in the actual production of grain themselves, whether or not they're farmers, you know, you know, harvesters or whatever it might be, at the end of the day, they recognized God's hand in providing for them this food. They knew that the land itself was a gift, Fertility of the soil, rainwater, the sun, they knew that these things were outside of their realm of control. So they depended on God's blessing. But this doesn't mean that they didn't think they had to work the land. In the minds of the Israelites, you know, they were able to differentiate between what they called the bread of blessing and the bread of deliverance. They knew how their work participated in the yearly cycles of growth. 
Okay, so as they're growing these crops, the bread of blessing was in God's gracious invitation. Hey, come with me to do this, to join with him in raising up crops. And so that's what they called the bread of blessing. They also knew that despite this, despite their best efforts, you know, their farming, famine or blight could wipe out all their crops in an instant. And so the bread of deliverance was sought out by them as God's preserving gift to salvation. When they're hungry, they would seek out these things, what we would see as something maybe a bit more out of the ordinary. Like they're hungering, there's no more crops, and someone just shows up with all this bread. This Uber Eats driver from the future comes and gives them bread. Whichever the case, this was enough reason for them to maintain a proper relationship with God. This was the physical stuff that they could look at in front of them. They could fill their bellies with. It it reminds them, hey, let's stay in step with God. He's the one providing these things. If only for the bread on the table that they can go on surviving, they can remember. Let's keep on going in this relationship with God. We've lost this a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've lost this a little bit because in exchange for convenience, we don't grow up with the knowledge that we depend on God for all things. You know, you might have been in like the this heaven system for a long time, ever since you were a little kid, but culturally speaking, we don't think about this thing very often. Our economy is based around money, not just about crops. So rather than growing on our own, or growing our own food, you know, when it comes to money, we think in certain ways about work that makes it really easy to remove God from our thinking entirely. Like, what's the common thing that people of my generation and above say if they're unchurched? You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get a job, work. Like, it's all about you and your efforts. It's not about, hey, don't worry. Someone's there to provide for you. God is there to provide for you. So we've removed this a little bit. Now, let me try to contextualize a little bit. This might help you to get the right frame of reference, okay? So imagine with me that you hear this rumor. In a month's time, life as you know it will change. So what do you do? You go on YouTube right away, you know? There's going to be no more electricity in a month's time. You're like, oh, God, I've got to get on YouTube. No way for you to just get groceries, and you find out you're going to have to grow your own food in a month's time. In order to survive, you're going to need to be able to grow your own food. And this is from a really trustworthy source in your imagination, right? So you know that it's not just some crazy conspiracy theory that someone dreamt up. So you go on YouTube, you type in how to grow your own crops, and you start diligently studying the one with the most views because surely that's the most trustworthy material. You study this material for the next month, and you're consumed with it. You're like writing down all your notes, you write up in a paper journal because you know there's not going to be any electricity in the future, and a month passes as you're studying this stuff. Sure enough, civilization collapses, but you're prepared. You feel pretty good. You know, like your neighbors, they're not as prepared, but you're like, okay, I'll share some crops. You follow all the right instructions as you remember them, as you've written them down in your little journal, you're preparing the soil, you're watering it, you're removing all the bugs, you're you know, doing all this stuff and you're waiting, and then there's something you haven't accounted for. 
Why do you, do you wake up one morning and it's raining too much? You're like, why? It's just not supposed to rain this much. I've already watered the crops. And then a few weeks pass. It's not raining enough anymore. This is like the plight of Sydney, right? There wasn't a tutorial online about how to make it sunnier, and so you don't really know what to do. How do you get enough water with no easy source? You start stressing about this stuff. You realize no matter what we do, at the end of the day, we're dependent on God for his blessings for our lives. And this is the same, even when we don't have to grow our own food, we still remain dependent upon him. Now, we might not think about food and its close relationship to God as much in our society, in our day today. We might not even think about how to get food because it's so convenient. You know, we can get it readily. You can literally go on your phone while I'm talking. Don't do this, but you can do this and just have food ready for you by the time you leave the service. But the way that we talk reveals a lot about us and our relationship with food. Have you thought about this? So many of our metaphors and our idioms that we use in daily speaking have to do with food. Think about it. Eating our words or eating humble pie, you know, all of these things, there's a lot of kind of negative, bitter imagery when we've done something wrong. We're made to eat our own words. Or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Maybe you've heard that one. This could be positive or negative, depending on who you're talking about. And it's talking about the discipleship that we receive from previous generations, whether intentional or unintentional. Or food for thought. Let me give you some food for thought. Even the words that we use and the things that we think are in relation to what we eat. We have this close relationship with food because it's what fuels us. And so a lot of the words that we use that we live by are wrapped up in food as well. So the most powerful images that stick with us in our language, oftentimes they reflect the things that we value as most important. And food is the stuff of survival, so obviously we think it's pretty important. Within the Bible itself, we see a whole bunch of metaphors using food, whether eating ashes or drinking tears. We see in Psalm 80 verse five, what the psalmist refers to as the bread of tears. Read with me, you fed them the bread of tears and gave them a full measure of tears to drink. We might see in Hosea 9.4, reference to the bread of mourners, they will not pour out their wine offerings to the Lord and their sacrifices will not please him. Their food will be like the bread of mourners. All who eat it become defiled for their bread will be for their appetites alone it will not enter the house of the Lord. I mean, these are very, very strong images of bread and food. It refers to deep sadness, to the mourning that surrounds food served at funerals. One of the strongest images in the Bible, the thing that I always think about when I think about bread in the Bible is the way that God provided manna in the desert while the people were in the wilderness. You know, if you've read this before, you might know this, if you're unfamiliar with this, so after God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt, they wander the wilderness and they start complaining. They start doubting God's will. Like God literally rescued them just now 
and they still found cause to doubt his character, whether or not he'd provide for them so that they would survive. That's that close relationship with food again. They're getting hungry, and they're starting to doubt God. Read with me, Exodus 16. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So this instruction from God is indicative of his intention for life as a whole. There's enough in this world for all to eat. Have you thought about this? In this world, there's actually enough food for literally every living being on this planet to eat. And for people to begin to take more in Exodus is very indicative of the human condition of sin. So what do you think happens? God tells them this. Continue on in verse 17. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. So the people are told, don't hoard food. They're told to take only what they need and yet they didn't listen. Why? Like, do you ever think about why it was so important that it was done daily? Why does God give this instruction? Do this every day. This is daily bread for them. Enough for the day. The people of God were being told, depend on God each day. Don't depend on your own work. One day at a time, because it reflects the Father's will. He provides. His will is to provide. Where does this hoarding mentality come from? If our God is provider, if we truly believe this, like we really, really believe that God provides for us, why do we hoard when he specifically says not to? Like think about our economy of not just food, but money. Why do we hoard money? Our prayer today, the verse that we're looking at today, give us today our daily bread. Jesus in this prayer shows just how seriously he takes our physical needs. It's a reflection of the giving and generous heart of the Father who has given enough for all of this world. Yet we as humanity, we take hold. We snatch food from the mouths of those who need it most. And we think as long as me and my family, as long as we're good, don't worry about those other guys. For the sake of comfort, we've sold off our dependence on God and our love for our fellow man. 
This is where I felt most disturbed this week. Like, when I'm reading this, I'm examining myself. I'm not thinking about you guys. I'm like judging you guys. I'm judging myself. And I'm looking in the mirror. I had to take a day. I'm just like laying down at home. Last week, we looked at on earth as it is in heaven. This movement from on earth as it is in heaven to give us today our daily bread, it can feel a little bit strange for us since we're talking about bread or food. It feels very mundane. Like we're talking about heaven and then suddenly bread. But this is highly intentional from Jesus. The reality is physical providence is so much more spiritual than we might believe. There's been this trend in Christianity, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it stretches all the way back to its beginnings where people have tried to separate the physical and spiritual in very unhealthy ways. Have you noticed this? Like, let me qualify, yes, we set our minds on things above. Yes, do that. But how does this play out in our lives? Like, should we just get rid of all our refrigerators? Should we shave our heads, live in the mountains somewhere, you know, isolate ourselves from earthly society? No. This already happened, by the way, in Christianity, in early Christianity. People did this. And being a guru in a desert somewhere isn't necessarily a greater picture of holiness than living in Sydney. Remember what we talked about last month when we looked at Revelation and the New Jerusalem. Our future home is gonna be here, on the new earth in the renewal of all things. Balance this. Balance this, the will of God in the providence of physical things that sustain us. These are the blessings of our great God with the spiritual things that give us life. These are also the blessings of our great God. Don't just automatically categorize things as good or bad because they're physical or spiritual, but seek out God's wisdom in moderation and in sacrificial ways. Think about why, as a theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way, the dominant biblical symbol of the kingdom is the great festive banquet. Like, throughout the Gospels, one of the biggest ways that the kingdom of God is talked about is the great festive banquet. Why is it talking about food? Think about why Jesus is constantly meeting with people, eating with them, feeding them in the wilderness. What is this picture? The past of God feeding his people in the wilderness in Exodus. It also pictures the future of the kingdom of God where there will be no hunger. And so what do we get in the present? In the past, we depend on God. In the future, we depend on God. So in the present, we depend on God. Think all the way back to the biblical image of creation. It's a lush garden full of food. His will in the garden is to provide for us. We have a garden of abundance. He tells us, eat from any tree except this one. Any tree. Go and just pick the fruit. You can eat it. In the garden, we had never experienced lack. Our gracious God 
gave us a constant filling of physical sustenance and relationship with him. And yet the picture is so clear. We reached for more than we needed in the garden. Like the people in the wilderness in Exodus. Like us today. This is really hard for us to think about. But why is it that we're at this place in history where so many in the world don't have food in their stomachs? And then those people with their bellies full have lost a spiritual connection with God. Why are we at that place? If you can go back to creation, if you can see what went wrong in the garden at creation, and you can see then how our transgression, along with Adam and Eve, resulted in this, because it resulted in us giving up our rights to the contents of the garden, to the providence that God had for us. And if you do agree with this, then you agree with some of the statement of beliefs that we have on our website, like Westminster Larger Catechism, question 193. We acknowledge our sin and our forfeiture of all outward blessings in this life. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. We know that prior to Christ, we've given up all of this. We traded in everything that God had for us, for our own provision. Our sin of reaching for something that was forbidden broke apart the first three parts of this prayer that we've been studying for the last few months, that we've been learning together. We wanted our will to be done, not God's. We sought to displace the king from his throne and establish our own kingdom. And we doubted the Father's goodness and wisdom and elevated our own understanding instead. So his will was to provide for us all the blessings of this life and in us turning from him, we by rights lose all of our access to them. So here we are. We traded in the lush garden and took this arid wasteland in exchange. As a result, this is what we do. We grasp for these, these breadcrumbs of blessings in this life. And as we're like holding on, they're just falling through our hands like so much sand in the desert, right? But there's more to the answer in the catechism that I just talked about. Jesus, the Son of God, sent out from our Father's home, comes to this earth and teaches us this prayer, this beautiful prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Like, read that again and again. Give us today our daily bread. I don't know if I spent more time in just crisis mode because I was deliberating about how I use food, how I stack up riches, whatever it might be, my meager riches, or if I was just stuck because I was thinking about his blessing. Look how he cares for us. His prayer that he teaches us has this inbuilt for us. Just in case we think 
that we can't ask for this. He teaches us to pray this prayer. This is the kind of God he is. He knows how weak we are. He remembers our form that we're only dust. And he says, hey, it's good to ask our father for this. You need to ask our father for this. The father's heart, let me tell you about it. It's kind and it's generous. You can ask for this. So we don't have to, and we shouldn't demand that food is put on the table for us. No, we ask. He's good and gracious. He gives to us. We ask of God's gracious gift that we might receive enough of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. And we acknowledge that he's the only source of all that's good. And without his blessing, nothing we have and nothing we receive can do us any good. And so we trust in him alone. This is how we recover what they had, that connection. Jesus teaches us this prayer for daily bread and his prayer points us, of course, to the greatest bread. John 6, 35, Jesus is telling them this. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Like, imagine this. Imagine what this means for the people that are growing their own crops, looking for their own water. Like, water's dirty enough at that time that they preferred wine. And he's telling them, you're never gonna be thirsty again with me. Jesus is the bread of life with whom we will never go hungry nor thirsty again. Everything else in this life leaves us wanting, leaves us unsatisfied. He's the son of God, on earth as it is in heaven, born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. As the embodiment of the Father's will, we see Jesus walking this earth, and he's going, what's he doing? He's going out with his disciples and he's catching fish with them. So many that their boats start sinking. It's food that he's catching with them. We see the way thousands of people are gathering to hear him speak, and they didn't plan ahead. They don't have enough food, and so he feeds them all. What does he do to do that? He takes a few small pieces of this barley bread, these pickled fish, and he multiplies them to the point where there's leftovers. Enough for thousands of people and there's leftovers. We see how when a wedding feast runs out of wine, Jesus turns water into wine so they can continue the celebration. The Father's will is to provide even when there seems to be a lack. And for this, he provides us with his son, the bread of life. And this bread, it's broken for us as we do with bread. He becomes the bread of tears, the bread of mourning, the bread that you consume at a funeral, so that when we take it and eat, it's transformed for us, that we can take the bread of life instead. He did the opposite of our natural inclination. 
So he willingly entered into discomfort, into the wilderness, being tempted by Satan at the height of his hunger to turn stones to bread. But instead, he trusted in his father. He depended on his father to provide for him. He left the security of his own home and placed others, other people's needs before his own comfort, eating death that we might eat of life. This is where we go when we pray this prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Now, there's some implications that I should tell you about. There's some terms and conditions to this prayer that I discovered. And I mean, you should still pray this prayer, but you should know what you're getting into, right? It's good for us to pray this prayer as Jesus taught us. It's good to pray and ask for his daily providence of your physical needs. Don't deprive yourselves. Like I know there are some in the church, not specifically in our church here, I think, that believe that, for example, pastors are meant to go without, suffer unnecessarily, and so they refuse to pay them a living wage. Like there's some in the wider church that we're a part of that really believe this. It breaks my heart when I see these pastors. It's good to see the way God answers this prayer. It's good to see this. Every time you eat food, it's an answer to this prayer. God has graciously provided. Every time there's rain or sun, look out on the earth. God has caused the crops to grow. And this is an answer to prayer. And so we pray in gratitude. This is perhaps why we see Jesus blessing the food by giving thanks to God before every meal. If the only time you pray is before a meal, well, you're in good company and it's good. But there's implications. When we pray this prayer, we're praying Give us, not give me my daily bread, give us. That demands something of us. It's necessitating that we care for our neighbors, a care for people outside of ourselves. We're not saying this is about me, we're saying this is about us. It's not a self-centered prayer, but it's a prayer of inclusion. It's a natural extension from what we talked about when we talked about praying our Father. And asking for daily bread means that we're entering into a very radical dependence on our Father. Every day, this should be our prayer. One day at a time, we seek God and his gracious provision. We recognize we're not self-sufficient here. We need him. If you pray this prayer at the beginning of the day, you can say, Give us today our daily bread. If you happen to pray at the end of the day, you can pray, give us our daily bread for the coming day. Do it one day at a time. And listen as you pray to the urgency of this prayer. It's a precious prayer if you're in a different situation. If you live hand to mouth, it's a precious prayer for those who live day by day those who sought God for their immediate needs. For us in our society today, we tend to be pretty secure. 
And so we think of some sort of indefinite future when we pray. The dream is to have enough that we can be comfortable till we die, that we can retire by whatever age is next year. But can I remind you, this prayer is a prayer for our needs, not for our greed. The makeup of this prayer already suggests it's a daily continuing dependence on God, not a situation where we can ask God for this surplus and then we can go away and not think about God anymore. God doesn't work that way. Proverbs 37 to nine reads this. Two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. <laughs> That's the prayer right there. That we continue to depend on God, that we don't profane his name, but instead we honor his name as holy. Let us not seek so much or so little that we're tempted to think that we're the masters of our own lives or that we're tempted to sin. And may we, with the disciples that learned this prayer, see that all things, all good things, including our ability to work and have food, come from our gracious Father. Together, let's look to the one who gives us this precious gift of physical sustenance. Christian writer Dallas Willard puts it this way. Today I have God, and he has the provisions. Tomorrow it will be the same. I will have God, and he will have the provisions. So I simply ask God today for what I need for today. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Father, when we join with Jesus in praying this prayer that he taught us, give us today our daily bread. Would you help us, Lord, to recognize how precious this prayer is for those that don't have, for those where food is an immediate need, for those that go hungry. For us, who live in perpetual excess and surplus, would you give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness then, for justice, that we would seek to provide for our fellow man. For those, the least, the last, and the lost, that don't have, that we might be your hands and feet here on this earth, that we might point people to you as we provide them with food. Thank you, Lord, that your blessing isn't for us to hoard, for it to breed worms and stink the next day, but instead you bless us to be a blessing. I pray, Lord, for a generous heart inside of us. within us that we might be able to be giving people 
the way that you give sacrificially of your son Jesus. We pray, Lord, that in all of this, that we wouldn't depend on our own righteousness or our own works to carry this out, but that we would look instead to the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord, who died for us and gave to us his righteousness. That we might look to this, that we might live in this, and in this, that we might be transformed by his good works more and more to his image. Lord, every time that we take a food, may we pray this prayer, looking to you in thanksgiving and gratitude for the food that you provide us, that we might be able to work and worship, that we might be able to live and indeed to have eternal life in you. Help us to seek you in all that we do. Transform us, be with us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.